0: Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 1 to 12. Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem, free free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For, for this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord's, Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live, lately Osirah, Assyria has oppressed them. And now, what do I have here? declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together. Your ruins of Jerusalem For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure. You will carry the vessels of the Lord, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rare guard. Thank
1: you.
2: Thank you ever so much for doing that. Now, there's a particular verse in there that talks about how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I think feet are functional, but beautiful, not so much. But what I've got is some pictures on the screen. Some of them, the quality's not that great, but just bear with us. And I want you to guess who those feet belong to. So, there's a mixture, and they're not people, they're not all people in here. So, we'll go with the first one. Whose feet are they? Who do you reckon? Frodo, absolutely, well done. That is Frodo. Excellent. The next one. Now this one's quite an old one. Hence why it's a bit blurry. Any ideas? Well, let's have a look. It's one of the clangers. <laughs> the next one. Teletubbies. Okay, which one is it? See, I thought it was Lala, but I'll take your word for it. It's all, it's all good. Tinky Winky. It's Tinky Winky. Cool. All right. It's the purple one anyway. Whose feet are there? Somebody said it first. Ronaldo, yes. Only because that's the only footballer I could think of. So what about this one? Bugs bunny. They seem to be getting too easy. Who's this? These same boats. Yeah, far too easy. It's an elephant. I was going to try and kid on that it was a particular elephant, but it's just an elephant. Who's this? Lady Gaga, yes, you're just far too good at this. That was meant to take you a while. Noddy, yep. And the next one? Bad And the last one, who's... Ryan. (laughs) It is Ryan, but he wouldn't let me take a photo of him, just his feet. But it's interesting because... Whatever your feet look like, whether they're a bit more like the hobbits or a bit more like whoever's, um, obviously I'm only joking, but whatever your feet look like, God says that they are beautiful. And the reason he says that is not because of how they look, but because of where they can take you. Did you know that your feet can tell you two, well, some really important things, but two very important things. First of all, where you stand all about where your feet are but also what direction you're going in whether your feet carry you across the street or around the world to tell somebody else about Jesus your feet are really important when you stand up for what you believe in your feet matter and it's about where we stand and about where we go so when you look at your feet which you must do every single day I want you to think about where your feet are going to take you that day and who you're going to meet as you go to those places. And it's about bringing that good news of Jesus to the people that we meet. The whole bit about beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those. That's because when someone was, a messenger was bringing good news, you could see them and then they disappear and then you'd see them again. And when you saw them coming over the hilltop, that was really exciting because they were bringing good news. We need to bring good news in a really exciting way to everybody that we meet. And we're gonna sing, I think. Yeah, let's sing. We're gonna sing Praise Him on the Trumpet, the Salty and Heart, because it carries on to go about let like, everything that has breath praise the Lord. And of course, that is what we want to happen, isn't it? So let's stand and let's sing together. Praise Him on the Trumpet.
1: Wake up, get dressed, make yourself look beautiful, be strong. God has come to claim you for his own. It's the message of Isaiah 52, it's a story of liberation. Zion, the city of Jerusalem, is summoned to wake up and get dressed. Once again she can be strong and beautiful because those who have invaded her precincts the army of occupation that has defiled her streets they've left they've fled they've abandoned the city and she is now free free to get up out of the dust sit on a throne again free to release her neck from the chains that have bound her and what's brought about this change in her fortunes god god has come to liberate her God has come to redeem and comfort her. And so the ruins of Jerusalem can break out into songs of joy because messengers of salvation are coming running over the mountains to bring fantastic news. Salvation is on its way because her God reigns. Like a victorious, liberating army, God is coming back to the city that's been under enemy occupation to set its people free. Free from oppression, free from slavery. And it's a day of celebration. Because God has come. So those keeping watch on the towers shout for joy when they see God coming back. It's not a rumour. It's not second-hand information. With their own eyes, they see the Lord returning to Zion. God, the great liberator, is coming to set his people free. In the words of F.W. Dilliston, Jesus is saviour. Because he brings men out into a new spaciousness in every sense of the term. He breaks breaks through the false insecurities and shams and compensatory oppressions of human life in order that he may lead his new race out into the expanse of light and growth and expansion and enlargement. Salvation means life at its highest level of experience. It means freedom from the cramping and confining limitations both of the world's prejudices And our own timidities. The hero Saviour has won the decisive victory and therefore has brought near to man the glorious liberty of the children of God. And this Advent, as we celebrate the coming of God to us in the person of His Son Jesus, we celebrate His coming to us as Saviour and as Liberator, the one who brings us the glorious liberty of the children of God. What's that all about? Among other things, it means the freedom to hold our heads high. To know that we're not second class citizens. To know that our lives have intrinsic value and meaning and purpose. Because God sets us free, we are not slaves, we are God's children. And that's important because a slave, to all intents and purposes, is not treated or valued as a human being, a slave is a commodity to be bought and sold, disposed of at will, with no capacity for self-determination at all. And Jerusalem had been enslaved, held captive against her will. But she's summoned now to, to free herself from the chains around her neck. You know, to have a chain placed around the neck is arguably one of the greatest signs of subjugation. Chains around the ankles, well, they stop you running away. Chains around the wrists restrict freedom of movement and can be used to secure you to something else. But a chain around the neck, that is the classic mark of enslavement. The one who puts the chain around the neck of another human being demeans them. Treats them as if they were an animal. Tells them, in effect, you belong completely to me and I have complete control over your life. I can make you do whatever I choose. So to put a chain around someone's neck is to treat them as somehow as subhuman, someone whose life doesn't count, whose life doesn't have any intrinsic value. It says you are not important as a real human being. It says that they are completely worthless. Slavery is abhorrent, and we need to recognise that. Whatever laws may have been passed against slavery in years past, it is still around today. The trafficking of people for slave labour and for the sex industry remains a horrific reality in today's world. Fund had been running a campaign, No Child Taken. And they used the example of Nazim, a child in India. In India, the statistics are that 4,000 children are trafficked every month. Nazim was one who was lured to Punjab with the promise of work. Income for his family, he ended up working 21 hours a day, six days a week without any pay at all and was only released when he was too ill to work anymore. He was able to return home by borrowing some money, Tearfund had been working with him and his family to enable them to find other means of income and as well to let them know the good news that no one deserves to be treated like that because they are made in the image of God. This, con- this country, this week, we've seen the conviction of Comrade Barla, so-called, who kept his own daughter as a slave for 33 years, and other members of that commune in Brixton. And this year the government has passed the Modern Slavery Act and did so in recognition that in the UK today there are probably more than 10,000 people being treated as slaves. Their document, the Modern Slavery Strategy, says young girls are raped, beaten, passed from abuser to abuser, and sexually exploited for profit. Vulnerable men are tricked into long hours of hard labour before being locked away in cold sheds or run-down caravans. People are made to work in fields, in factories, and on fishing vessels. (coughs) Women are forced into prostitution. Children are systematically exploited. Domestic workers are imprisoned and made to work all hours of the day and night for little or no pay. This is not Dickens. This is 21st century Britain. The plight of modern slaves needs to be something that is a matter for vigilance, prayer, campaigning, and action. Such a denial of someone's humanity is an offence against the human race and against the God who made these people in his image. Intrinsic value that means there's more to you than the cost of your labour. The price for which your body can be sought or sold or the value of your kidneys, liver or other human organs on the black market. How do some people get to treat other people like that? Maya Angelou says if you will have a person enslaved the first thing you must do is convince yourself that that person is subhuman. The second thing you do is convince your allies so that you'll have some help. And the third and probably unkindest cut of all is to convince that person that he or she is subhuman and deserves it. So it may be that the supporters of IS who treat Yazidi women as sex slaves feel free to do so because they persuaded themselves that these women are somehow less than human and are free to be used for whatever purposes they want. But God did not make any subhuman people. Every person is made in the image of God. And we need to recognise that. And we need to remember that even when we're tempted to think of terrorists as somehow subhuman because they seem devoid of human compassion or conscience. Even the perpetrators of unspeakable evil remain human beings in the grip of an evil ideology. We can't classify them as subhuman either. They are, like us, made in the image of God, and even though to our eyes... That image seems to be almost completely erased. Nevertheless, we recognise that they too are people like us. And what about you? You're made in the image of God as well. Your life, however you feel about yourself, your life has intrinsic value. The value of your life can never be cashed out in monetary terms. It's easy to lose sight of that because we live in a society which tends to devalue and depersonalize us. It's easy to feel insignificant. That's one of the reasons why, despite our relative affluence and wealth, we still lack a sense of well being. Our lives are not sorted because so many people don't see their value or purpose. If you've got a job, it's easy to feel undervalued and exploited. If you haven't got a job, it's easy to feel useless. If you're not treated with respect at home, you can feel worthless and inadequate. If you live alone, it's easy to feel utterly insignificant. But in the eyes of God, what are you worth? You are priceless. Let me repeat that because it's something we can believe about other people, but we can't necessarily believe it about ourselves. You, you are priceless. The people in Jerusalem in Isaiah's prophecy had lost sight of that. They felt worthless. Sold for nothing. Taken away for nothing. Worth nothing. Merely objects of derision and mockery for their enemies and their captors. Sometimes even as free people we can feel a little bit like that. We're not physically enslaved, but we can be shackled in our minds. We feel subhuman, like we don't make the grade to qualify the respect that would be due to normal, proper human beings. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not slim enough. I'm not fun enough. I'm just not good enough enough. These are the chains that our experience of life can sometimes fasten around our neck and in the depths of depression or despair we can even wonder sometimes whether there's any point in living. But let me whisper the message of Isaiah to you. Your God reigns. He's your God. And if he's your God, that means that you are his child, you belong to him. And this morning or whenever it is you're listening to this message, I am one of those messages bringing you the good news of peace and and salvation. Your God reigns. And this Advent we celebrate the God who comes to us with life-saving, life-transforming power to redeem our lives, to rebuild our ruins, to lift us out of the dust, lift our eyes to see that God is coming back to us to see that God is coming for us, bringing his salvation for each and every one of us. So wake up. Look at how it ends. You are not worthless. You are of infinite value. Your life yet has meaning and purpose as you live it for the God who loves you and has redeemed you. In the knowledge of his love and of his saving power, it's possible to rediscover again the qualities of beauty and strength you thought you'd lost forever. So shake off your dust. Lift up your head. Take off the chains that life has fastened around your neck and listen to those who proclaim peace and salvation in the name of Jesus, who declare the good news. Your God reigns. True for Jerusalem, then, true for you today. Let's pray. Lord, some of us can't feel, or see, or understand how you are reigning in our present situation. We might want to believe it, but we can't see it. We might feel utterly sceptical. Lord, come to us. When we are powerless to come to you, when we struggle to put our faith in you, Come to us. Come to us as Savior because we can't save ourselves. Come to us as Lord because we have no control over our lives. Come to us as Redeemer and claim us for yourself. Open our eyes to see you coming. Our ears to hear the message. Our hearts to believe the good news. To believe that it's true for us. And our mouth to share it with others. We hear the words, your God reigns. In your grace, by your power. May we see that and experience that as we place ourselves in your hands.